So what people at companies need to do is think through what are the core changes that are required for insurers to succeed? How can I change the thinking at my company? Welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted, the show dedicated to innovation in the insurance industry. Each episode, you'll get a dose of thought leadership from the industry's top business minds, influencers, innovators, and executive leaders. If you want to transform your corner of the industry and exchange innovative ideas, you need to subscribe to this podcast. Now here's your host, Abel Travis. Hey everyone, welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast, where we dedicate our discussion to insurance innovation. So you realize, you know, I mentioned this a couple of months ago that during the summer months and just uh, in general, we're going to start to release a repeat episode every four episodes just to give you all some insights into what uh, folks were talking about in the past in terms of innovating this space um, and to see where things are landing now. You know, I've had a lot of guests on the podcast and, uh, you know, just to, to see the way in which these organizations have matured and really taken over um, in the space that they were looking to innovate is, is, is quite amazing. You know, there are organizations that I've spoken to, like Lemonade, for example, that I think they've already gone public and so on and with all the investment that they've gotten, that they've received um, to other organizations like Quilt earlier on that's been um, sort of swallowed up and acquired by a bigger insurance company and so on. So. Uh, with Excel, um, with the um, organizations that I've seen and that I've spoken to uh, with Ex- in, like Excel, uh, you know, there's been some changes there with mergers uh, that's occurred um, with AXA as well. So, you know, there's been just such a tremendous amount of change in the space of innovation. And in all honesty, that is to be expected. I think that's exactly what we're all going to see over time as this industry and the um, uh, Insure techs within this industry are going to continue to mature. So I do want to let you all know that on the 15th, it's this coming Monday, uh, if you're not already going to be in Chicago, you can catch me at the Digital Insurance Summit and I'll be giving two talks. One that's talking about the speed of change and, and how to really transform and change your organizations. And then another is going to be a, sort of a, a digital interactive roundtable um, in which I'm going to be talking about strategic applications of wearable technology and how you can leverage that particular technology um, within your organizations, especially under the umbrella of IoT. You know, what was really interesting, I want to tell you all a story before we jump into uh, the guest that I'm going to be speaking to today. And about a week and a half ago, um, I got into a car accident. Uh, I was hit by a drunk driver. It was really unfortunate that ran the stop sign going more than 60 some odd miles an hour, um, smashed right into me. Um, you know, and as I got hit uh, at first, of course, when you're you're in shock, you're like, what the heck is going on? And, and then all of a sudden I heard this voice, you know, Mr. Travis, Mr. Travis, are, are you OK? And I'm like, oh, my God, did I die? Am I hearing someone call my name? But of course, it turned out to be my auto uh, uh, manufacturer, which is a BMW. Um, and uh, with the airbag sensors that's going off, that went off, it automatically called out to me, um, you know, to see if everything was okay and if I needed assistance and if I needed them to send, um, you know, uh, the authorities or uh, an ambulance or, or so. And uh, luckily, um, I was able to walk away. But that just reminds me that within this industry, uh, within insurance, we can take things that we're seeing from other industries just to make sure that people are okay. 
um, and uh, you know uh, apply that to what we can do successfully within the insurance space. You know, I, as I mentioned at the Digital Insurance Summit, I'm going to be talking about wearables technology, and and I'm going to be talking about things like IoT, um, and uh, especially as we think about workers' compensation and applying wearables in this space. It creates a huge opportunity in the event that in the event that someone gets injured to do exactly what BMW did for me, either to alert the authorities that an injury has occurred or to reach out um, to the individual in some way, shape or form to make sure that they are OK. Uh, now, you know, um, I. Uh, Loved the fact that um, that BMW uh, was able to do that, and that was a part of their service. Um, and um, of course, I got to give shout outs to Amica, which was my personal lines insurance organization, just because of the way that they handled the claim uh, went solid and, and went really well. So um, shout out to you, Amica. Um, so, you know, uh, anyway, I, I do want to, um, uh, you know, move forward into talking to our guest today, which is Martin Snow from Adidas. And InsureTech enabling life insurers to take full advantage of the opportunities within their book of business using big data and AI. Martin, it is a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Abel. I'm glad you invited me, and I look forward to our conversation tonight. Hey, Martin, you know, so um, I, I, I always like to set our discussions up in a way that helps to get the um, let the listeners get to know you. So, you know, if you don't mind, you know, talk to me about your background and what you've done over your career. You know, as I see, you've been in many types of organizations like uh, MetLife and TIAA Cref and so on before coming to Antidote. So, you know, talk to me about your history and in, in to both the financial services and in the insurance space. Certainly, Abel. Um, so I held leadership roles in the actuarial area at MetLife, Prudential, and TIAA. At TIAA, I was the appointed actuary. At Prudential, I was the lead pricing and reinsurance solutions actuary and NGE actuary for life insurance. And at MetLife, I was the dividend actuary. Uh, about two and a half years ago, uh, my daughter was spending her gap year in Israel, and my wife and I went to visit her. And the friends of friends introduced the CEO of Atidot and me together. And shortly thereafter, I became a member of the advisory board. And then uh, almost a year and a half ago, I became an employee of the firm. Awesome. Now, Martin, I know you wanted to tell a little story about innovation and the way that we are seeing innovation play out in this industry based on some historical things that's played out in others. So, you know, just take a moment and talk to us about that. When I was growing up, um, one of the biggest worries that people had was whether there'd be a nuclear war between the United States and the Soviet Union. Uh, so much so that one evening, my brother, my younger brother, came home from school, got off the school bus, and my mom notices that he's white in the face and he's not talking to anyone. And my mom asks him, what's the matter? What's the matter? And finally, my mom got him to open up and he says, 
well, none of us will be here tomorrow. And my mom asks him, why do you say that? Where'd you get such an idea from? And it took a little bit of prodding, but after a while, my brother says, well, that's what our teacher told us today. There was one of these crises between the United States and the Soviet Union, and The teacher, for whatever reason, felt that not only was it important to teach about international relations, but to tell the kids that tonight there might be a nuclear war. And, well, anyway, my brother came home petrified. In any event, uh, fast forward a whole bunch of years, we know the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, and everybody thought, wow, this is the end of Afghanistan. And an effective guerrilla warfare was launched, and the Soviet Union didn't do so well. And then, a bit later, the Soviet Union fell. And it was an amazing thing. The power that everybody in the world was afraid of just fell. Um, Almost seemingly like out of thin air, like nothing. Why do I talk about this? The reason I talk about this is because it goes to show how when the right sets of circumstances come into play, uh, change, which seems like it could happen, usually happens very, very slowly, especially in the insurance industry, can speed up and can happen very quickly. Now, we're not going to analyze why exactly the Soviet Union fell, but we're going to talk more directly about the insurance industry. And think of it, uh, we in the insurance industry have so much data on our customers that it may be even more data than Facebook has. So we got tons and tons and tons of data. Uh, We don't have a shortage of information. So the big question that we all need to deal with is can this data be used to transform the industry? And if it can be used to transform the industry, how long will it take? And one place to get a good sense of the types of things that could happen, um, some of you may have previously rented movies from Blockbuster. Well, I'm pretty sure that none of you who used to rent movies from Blockbuster still do. What happened? Um, The Blockbuster model failed, Netflix came in, had a good model, and they won. But to take it a bit more in depth than this, um, Blockbuster started in 1985, one store in Dallas. Over seven years, they got to 2,800. Uh, in 1994, Viacom paid more than $8 billion to acquire Blockbuster. Obviously, Blockbuster was doing very, very well. Uh, Netflix was launched in 1997. Uh, Blockbuster was the undisputed champion of the video rental industry. Uh Netflix was using snail mail to distribute DVDs. Did Netflix even have a chance? And the prospects were so bleak that one Wall Street analyst labeled Netflix's stock as, quote, a worthless piece of crap, end quote. 
So this was a classic David versus Goliath where Blockbuster's the well-established player and Netflix is just coming in and a startup. In 2000, Netflix actually had the courage to go in and approach Blockbuster and offer a type of partnership. And Blockbuster laughed them out because Blockbuster couldn't incorporate new information that maybe there was a new model on the horizon that they should think about, and they laughed them out. By 2004, four years later, which in the history of the industry maybe is not a long time, but in the history of data being used could be a very, very long time. Uh, Four years later, in 2004, uh, there were those at Blockbuster, including the CEO, who realized that change needed to take place. At the beginning, they were successful in getting the change to happen. But then the quote, old guard, did a rear guard action on them and went to the board, convinced the board that, hey, look, uh, this is costing too much money. We got to stop it. And the change advocates, including the CEO, were kicked out. Uh, So this is in 2004. Um, In 2010, six years later, Uh, Blockbuster went bankrupt. So six years in advance, they realized they could have made the change. They failed to change management. And just in case you may think, well, they really couldn't have done anything. Six years wouldn't have been enough time. The famous investor, Carl Lecan, who was invested in them, said, if, quote, if we had continued, things might have turned out differently. And of course, the idea here is, is that Blockbuster, um, they failed to change management, but it actually was a step deeper than just failing at change management. What they also did was they didn't use data effectively. They did studies also, like any good firm would do studies. They did studies and their, quote, research found that when you want to rent a video, you like to hold the case. You like to look at the front and the back. You want to see your neighbors and talk. You want to buy popcorn. And so they did, quote, research that showed that continuation of their model was really a great thing. And Netflix, on the other hand, did more real research. They had a much more, you know, cohesive, comprehensive, open strategy to be open to what to do. And they used data effectively. And what Netflix found was that people really don't want to go see their neighbors when they're renting a video. Of course, once they're in the store, They'll be they'll talk to them. They're not going to be rude. But if people want to rent the video, that's all they want to do. They don't want to buy popcorn. And of course, why were they looking at the front and the back of the video? Because they needed information on the video. You can get that information online now. So Netflix figured all this out. Netflix segmented clients 
so they knew what type of videos you like to watch. So they made the job of finding additional videos much easier. And of course, Netflix is the one who caused the invention of binge TV. There's no more, oh, I got to stay home on Thursday night because of whichever show it is that's my favorite show. You could go when you want and watch when you want. So what happened was, was Blockbuster didn't see change. They failed at change management and they did not use data effectively. Then the next question that we have in the industry is all this data that we have, are we using it effectively? It's more data than Facebook and are we using it effectively? And let's just talk for a minute about how this could apply to insurance. And I'll let's talk about a little story first. There was a conference of insurance producers and a drunk managed to get in and the drunk was looking to pick a fight and he starts calling out and shouting in his loudest voice, all you insurance producers are a bunch of crooks. And I dare anyone to challenge me. And he's there and he's waiting for someone to challenge him. And nobody challenges him. Finally, one person gets up and says, that's outrageous. Withdraw that statement immediately. It's unacceptable. And the drunk, you know, rearing to pick a fight, looks at the person and says, why? Are you an insurance producer? And the person responds, no, I'm a crook. So now no one is suggesting that um, using data effectively or using artificial intelligence effectively or using predictive analytics or machine learning effectively is going to make dishonest people be honest. But there are a number of other things that can be done. Um, you know, when we look at the insurance sales model, and I realize there's differences between life, health, property, and casualty, so it's hard to, you know, get into each one in detail in our time frame now. But when we look at, uh, is the insurance sales model responsive? I know when I bought my life insurance policy, I had to get asked the same exact set of questions on the application three different times. First, a, um, the producer asked me all the questions. Then a medic who came to my house to draw blood asked me all the questions. And then somebody from the home office called me up again, asked me the questions, and I gave the exact same answers three times. How customer friendly was that? Um, so there's a lot of things. The, even with customers who are in force, who are already on the books, is the customer relationship model engaging? When I think about my own experiences with, let's say, my life insurer, they send me what appears to me to be a form letter once a year 
Uh, dear Martin, we recommend that you talk to your financial planner to find out uh, which other products that we offer would be good for you. And I'm like saying to myself, there's so much data out there. Don't you know anything about me? Don't you have an idea of which products would be good for me? And is the universe of products that are good for me only those products that you offer? Um, and it's not an engaging customer relationship model. Um, but then there's lots of other questions that we can have. Um, you know, when we think of, let's say, um, health claims, are we doing as good a job as we can at claims management? Or when we go to the financial reporting side, um, how much variability is there in our financial projections? Are our financial projections, do they hold up or do we find out two months later that there's a surprise? What if there was a way to segment your customer base better and in a more refined manner and get more precise assumptions with lower variability? How would CFOs, CEOs, and boards feel? How would our risk managers feel? And again, um, given that we have more data on the customers than Facebook does, um, can we use this data effectively? Yeah, you know, I, I, I wanted to say that, you know, um, I, I think, uh, you know, as you talk about all of the data uh, that's available in the insurance space um, on customers, you know, I think all of that really comes back to then effectively using it to transform the customer experience. Um, you know, so to the example that you gave, you're not being asked the same questions one, two, three times as you're looking to get coverage for um, specific elements of the insurance that you're that you're trying to get. Now, you know, with that said, um, I, I do want to, to circle back a little bit um, and uh, and really, you know, learn about what um, Adidas is um, Adidas is, is, is doing um, and, you know, the, the value proposition of Adidas to really service the needs um, of that customer and, and what you all are doing in the space of um, leveraging data um, in, in order to uh, drive sort of a different customer experience um, in the insurance industry. So, you know, if, if you don't mind, you know, tell me a little bit about your value proposition and, and what you're doing um, uh, uh, in the industry in regards to that value. No, no, certainly. So um, Antidote was founded three years ago in 2016, and we've been operating in the U.S. Uh, about a year and a half at this point. And what we are, maybe even a bit more than that, and what we are doing is we're helping the industry to improve sales, improve retention, and improve risk management. Now, a word about Atidote. 
Um, Antidote was actually founded in Tel Aviv, and the word Antidote, it's a Hebrew word, it's the plural of the word future, with the idea being that we are predicting the futures for the insurance industry. Right now, we are focused on life insurance and annuities. And our we have three founders, um, Dror Katsav, Barak Berkovich, and Asaf Mizan. And those three founders, two of them have their background from the Israeli army military intelligence, which uh, some of you may know, um, that group has been responsible uh, for preventing terrorist attacks worldwide. And the third founder is a career actuary, and he had worked at Swiss Re and at a number of other different companies. And just before joining Atidote, he was the chief actuary of the Israeli Ministry of Finance, um, the actuarial regulator. And what we are doing is helping companies, whether it's improve risk management, um, increase sales or improve retention. And like one example I could give of where we've helped the company, let's just pick on lapses. Um, if a company doesn't have a good handle on its early duration lapses, um, it really doesn't know how much money it's going to be making, especially true in like a life insurance business context, uh, because you don't know if you have 80% of the policies left to recover your acquisition costs or 90, and you make a pretty different assumption depending on what the number is. So what we were able to do for this company is come in and help them to uh, get a much better handle on their lapses. We did this by segmenting their population into additional segments so that it was more refined groupings and we were able to get more precision on the lapses. There was significant improvement in the lapse rates, but beyond this, it had a number of after effects, so to speak. Uh, for example, the company now knew who to target for sales because if a customer was in a certain bucket that may have meant that they have a high propensity to lapse if they have a high propensity to lapse uh, they may not want to sell to them so they went to the other customers they also could tell which customers are more likely to pay higher premiums, lower premiums, uh, higher face amounts, lower face amounts, etc. And then, in, in addition to knowing who's going to lapse, so by knowing who's going to lapse, you could focus retention efforts. And this company had a call center, and because of the work that we did, they were able, when a customer called up, to say, Okay, well, you should go. This customer gets routed to a generalist because they're probably asking a question of, oh, I lost my bill. I don't know when my next premium is due or some other question like that. And this customer is at high risk of lapse. They should go to retention specialists and they were able to right size the staffing 
of the retention specialists versus generalists, and they were able to make sure that both were being utilized efficiently. So this is an example of one use case that we've done and how we see significant benefit. But of course, even to add on that, um, if then a company knows uh, with more certainty how many people will lapse, the company gets much more accurate financial projections and there's much less risk associated with issuing new policies. Yeah, so uh, so Martin, you know, as as we think about the use case that you laid out, um, you know, you mentioned that uh, where um, Antidote um, uh, um, plays in terms of the, the space in which you all operate, that it is, uh, you know, mainly in the, um, the life and, and the annuity space. Now, you know, with that said, um, I could see the capability that you're building and designing um, and have designed and laid out, you know, work beyond that space. So are you um, seeing that uh, there's a potential to either be applicable to either health or the PNC industry? And, uh, you know, are, are you thinking that there might be plans to expand beyond the, um, the, the general areas of insurance that you're working in today? I see a tremendous need um, beyond life insurance and annuities, and I'll give an example in a minute, because one thing, of course, that I want to acknowledge um, in the life insurance industry itself, for there's automated underwriting going on, and more and more companies are looking at that. So there are things that are happening um, in the PNC industry. They actually use it for pricing. Um, which, of course, you know, you need to make sure your regulator is comfortable. But there's a number of uses that I haven't seen yet. Um, and, and some of this includes the things like that we're talking about, getting better actuarial assumptions or other things like that. But to answer your question very directly uh, about other places where I could see this happening, um, so let's take something like health insurance or long-term care insurance. Now, in these types of things, there are certain claims that, well, there's not much to do. You know, I don't know, somebody's in an automobile accident or, or some other type of accident. Uh, somebody's in an elevator that malfunctions and they get injured. Um, there's not much to do in advance. But there are other types of claims, and maybe long-term care is a place where there's a good example. If somehow or other uh, the insurer would know that this particular person is at high risk of falling and breaking a hip, a different bone, whatever, um, maybe it would be cost-effective for the insurer to install bars in that person's shower and ward off the claim. Or another type of thought that might be worthwhile is let's say um, somebody is buying um, incontinence equipment. So just pick one example. Well, that might mean that they're at high risk of going to a nursing home or needing other types of long-term care. And of course, here, um, we get into not only questions of can it be done, but we get into ethical questions also, because, for example, um, let's say we had access 
to all of Amazon's data. And again, I caution that we do not do this at this time. But let's just say we, or, and by we I mean anybody, has access to all of Amazon data. Then if you have this access, you could tell, is the person buying incontinence equipment? Are they buying, I don't know, some type of, you know, huge amounts of over-the-counter painkillers maybe, or all sorts of different things that one can get on Amazon. And you could begin to figure out who is at risk for what? Now, this is where it comes into all sorts of ethical and legal questions, which, of course, one question, which I'm not even going to address, is what is Amazon's policy on using this data? But even another question is, is, is it legal, is it ethical, is it appropriate to use people's private information in this way? Um, now, of course, here... Uh, it's possible that one might be able to differentiate because maybe uh, for pricing and for underwriting, uh, where you're actually making a decision that could adversely affect the individual, maybe then it wouldn't be appropriate. But maybe if the goal of what you're doing is to whether it's to install protective bars in the shower of someone who needs it or to identify early on who's going to need nursing care so the insurer could help them because the insurer has expertise, the insurer has bargaining power, the insurer could say people like you have the best possible outcome in this facility so if you're using the information to help them, would it be different? It's a question. And of course, the next question is, is even if it is different and even if it is acceptable, what type of safeguards do we, whether it's as a company or as a society or some other group, uh, what type of safeguards are needed in order for um, this, you know, for everyone to have comfort that the data will only be used where it's supposed to be used and it won't be used in other places? Yeah, and, and when you take that a little bit further, right, so I, I think um, as I hear the point that you're making, you know, there is, uh, you know, just so much data out there on people uh, that not only does the insurance industry collect, but also just in relation to everything that we do from shopping to how we drive our cars, right? If you think about Tesla and so on, which can then begin to predict, um, you know, how this person would perform the type of health that could be, uh, you know, this person could be in and so on, which from an insurance perspective, that will then help you to identify whether the risk is um, a good one or one that's going to perform even better, right? Unfortunately, you know, we have to talk about people in the, in the context of risk, but, uh, but you know, that's, that's what that would do. Um, you know, so um, as we think about uh, the future of, uh, you know, how this data could be used in the insurance space, 
from your perspective, Martin, you know, do you see that um, insurance organizations are going to begin to access and leverage that data as a part of their risk assessments? Or do you think that there might be some challenges, whether it be regulatory or just even access to the other data that they're not collecting, that's going to prevent them from being able to, um, you know, leverage the data in that way? No, that's an excellent question, Abel, and I'm actually very glad you asked it. Um, from what I'm seeing, the biggest, um, I don't know whether I should call it impediment or the biggest reason that change is not happening more quickly is that we are in an industry where change happens slowly. And there's numerous reasons for it. Uh, some of them are very, very good because, you know, we have a good business model. Do we want to ruin it? But, of course, the flip side question always is, is if we as an industry don't change, will someone else, whether it's Amazon or Facebook or someone else, come in and change it for us? Then, of course, we all have the examples of Uber and Lyft in front of us, uh, where an industry can be changed without cooperation of the incumbents. So, in terms of whether um so the one impediment is basically is the pace at which people change um the big question that i see is we spoke about how blockbuster in 2000 netflix visited with them they said no in 2004 they decided to say yes then the naysayers, so to speak, won out and said no. And then in 2010, they would be bankrupt. Um, personally, I will not give a prediction for how many years this will take. Um, I see it very clearly that a revolution is coming and the industry will change. Uh, but what I cannot do is tell you, oh, Abel, it's going to be this year, this month, or anything like that. But I do think that people should be very careful. And what I would add is that um, those who have studied the history of innovation, um, whatever it's with, um, and just one example, when Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone, he offered to sell it to Western Union for a price that in today's dollars would be under $2 million. And, of course, Western Union said, we have no need for these new toys. And, of course, what that says is, is two things. It says that Western Union didn't realize the power of it, but neither did Alexander Graham Bell realize the power of it, because if he knew what the telephone was going to become, he would not have been willing to sell it for under $2 million in today's dollars. And the point is, is that the industry, if you are... In an industry where there's innovation happening that's potentially disruptive, a company needs to evaluate are the standard mechanisms that I use to judge the value of a project 
effective and good for measuring innovation because the standard measures that companies use look well, right now, the bottom line is, I don't know, $300 million, and this little innovation is maybe a million dollars. Well, of course, it gets second fiddle, but that may not be the right metric and the right, right way to look at the innovation that's happening. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think um, companies do tend to overlook uh, the value of the innovations that's happening. And to the point that you made, you know, you do see that occur with organizations like Blockbuster, um, organizations like, um, you know, uh, um, or, or, or people like Alexander Graham Bell, uh, to the point that you mentioned, and, and many other organizations. You know, it even goes to the point um, where in my past life, you know, there was um, an insurance executive in which uh, was, you know, really gung-ho about what that organization, uh, what that insurance carrier was doing. Um, and then when there was a question that was asked about what do we feel about some of the newer insure techs that are coming in, that's not looking to enable the value chain, but that's looking to transform it like the lemonades and the slices of the world, that executive uh, decided that, you know, those organizations wasn't going to impact their value proposition in their value chain um, and dismissed it. Meanwhile, a couple of years later, um, as I you know, read um, an article written by that same executive, they're now seeing that um, you know, the capabilities that some of these insure techs have are truly transforming uh, their space of the industry and now they got to take note, right? But there's always that point where, um, you know, uh, organizations um, and leaders tend to dismiss new innovations and transformations instead of taking it seriously um, and then um, having to be impacted in some way, whether it's profitability or financially, before they really start to take note. You know, so, so Martin, from your perspective, you know, how can that dynamic change? You know, what ways do you think, um, you know, organizational executives and leaders could start to really see the shifts that's happening, not only in our industry, but just from an, an innovation perspective in any industry, to begin to take them serious as they're growing um, uh, or, or, or as they're being, um, and I don't want to use the term disrupted, but but truly as they're being, uh, as their value chain is being disrupted by these new organizations. No, no, that's an excellent question. And, and I actually think that people need to do two things. One is they need to take a look at whether their existing processes are picking up um, the right project and whether the tried and true measure that they've used for many years is the right one to use in order to assess new projects. And the second thing that's equally critical is that when companies look to hire people, they need to look for who is the biggest innovator and who is it that will figure out how to do new things with the tools and information that we have. Yeah, a absolutely. Um, you know, I, I would agree with that. I think, um, 
you know, it's imperative for companies to begin to take that perspective in terms of looking for the new things um, and then also redefining what success looks like, right? Because if uh, once they uh, define what success looks like, not just in the context of the business today, but in the context of the customer expectations for the future, then I think that uh, be, that helps those organizations to, you know, really hone in on um, what um, innovation should actually permeate through the rest of the the value chain in terms of what those organizations are offering. Now, you know, um, Martin, with that said, um, when when I look at um, insure techs techs like um, Antidote, you know, um, I see that organizations like yours, um, you know, has the ability to enable other insurance um, carriers or other, um, you know, um, agencies or whatever it may be as a part of the insurance value chain. You know, so I, I guess my, my question for you is, you know, um, as you look at your organization, do you see that um, InsureTechs, whether it's yours or others, are really the key to in industry transformation um, as we're looking at the horizon of the insurance industry? So what what my personal thoughts on this are that very often, not always, but very often to disrupt an industry, you need to bring information in from the outside in uh, because what happens not always and not at every company but at some companies is that people are there and begin to think the exact same way and so either everyone makes a mistake or everyone gets it right and when you bring in a company from outside the company you know you bring in people from outside the company who are actively seeing things differently and working on things differently, you get a a very different perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so, um, so, you know, as, um, as we look at the industry at large, you know, from your perspective, you know, what are some of the things that you think carriers are missing in the bigger picture of innovation and transformation and insurance? I mean, that's actually a very, very broad question. No, no, it's fair. It's good because I actually think that that type of question um, goes way beyond life insurance and annuities. Um, You know, if we look in the health insurance space, um, that's a space that is crying out for a solution. Um, Does it really make sense how much certain procedures cost in the United States? Um, If we look at everything that's going on um, with artificial intelligence, the question that one might need to raise is, can artificial intelligence be used to make better investment decisions uh, or at least serve as a check on the investment decisions that I'm making. So I think that companies, so that they, uh, you know, really see what the problem is and that they need to be willing to do something different. Because another risk that companies face is if an executive does the same thing that was done last year and the same which is the same thing as was done the year before or even slightly different but mostly the same there's very little risk 
Uh, we need a culture where executives are empowered and managers and leaders are empowered to take risks without fearing the consequence of, oh, you bet on a company that doesn't have who knows how many zeros in their bottom line. And um, we hope it works out, but we don't know. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's um to, to the point that you made. I I think you're right. You know, um, there's uh, very little risk if they're doing the same thing year over year. But then also, um, the results are either going to be similar, and and if there are other organizations that are now transforming and surpassing what they're doing, at some point, those results are going to start to um dwindle and um and, and start to deteriorate over time. Now, um, you know, just 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 going back to um, what you and I talked about a little bit earlier in regards to the use of data, you know, I, I start to think about it even more from the perspective of, you know, let's say predictive models, right? Um, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, data as it's being plugged into predictive models, you know, um, it, it does provide the ability um, to be used um, in a way that can drive um, better loss prediction and pricing and those sorts of things, right? So, you know, um, just knowing the way in which you all are using data in which you think carriers can use data, you know, do you see carriers changing the way that models are built, um, you know, based upon uh, not only, um, you know, uh, the ability to access their unstructured data, but also um, their ability to access data from other organizations like, uh, just to go back to what we were saying a little bit earlier, maybe um, an Amazon or another organization in which policyholders interact with. Right, so you see, so I see a few things here. Um, one thing is, is there's no question that the data has to be structured, uh, you know, better and more use made of the data. But the next question is, is I don't view this as purely a data play. And oh, if I have the same data you have and you have the same data I have, everything I can do, you can do, and everything you can do, I can do. Um, I, I believe that that's a common misperception in the industry because there are so many models out there and you want to have experience as to which model is going to work and which model is going to prove the right answer. Um, you know, when you think of it, and I don't want to digress into a discussion about Boeing and the airline industry, but both Boeing and the FAA claim that they had some model in order to test that planes were effective, and then we had the 737 MAX. So obviously, whatever model, and I don't necessarily mean a computer model, is you know, it's a whole big ecosystem, infrastructure, etc. Obviously, there was some flaw that they didn't catch. And what companies need to do is be thinking not only do I have all the right data? And not only can I get my hands on 27 different models if I want, but do I know how to use all these different models in the right way to get the best answer on the particular question? And just to give 
um, a very basic example for the audience. Um, let's just say that I have an admin system. Let, let's give, I, I don't know if this is a realistic example for PNC, but let's just say it is, uh, where uh, someone who has automobile insurance, they could have just liability, they could have liability and comprehensive, or they could have liability and collision, or liability comprehensive and collision. So that's four choices that they could have. Um, and let's just say that maybe in the admin system, it's labeled as one, two, three, and four. Uh, for everything that companies have done traditionally, that model is great. But let's say you feed that information into a predictive analytics artificial intelligence system. The machine is going to come back and whichever one you labeled a four is going to be spending its time looking for relationships to prove that that coverage is four times the other coverage that was labeled one, which is obviously an absurd result. So my point is, is that you need to know um, how to model the business in the machine, and you need to know which models give a better answer for a particular situation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, hey, you know, Martin, you know, um, uh, one of the questions that I uh, always like to ask, right, and I, I like to always um, make the discussion that you and I are having here really tangible for those that are listening. Um, you know, um, and, and that question is, you know, if, if there are listeners that are hoping to take what they've learned here and go back to their desks and um, innovate and transform beyond the status quo, you know, what advice would you give those individuals? Well, I mean, to me, I think the big thing they need to be thinking about, they need to come to the realization that predictive analytics, artificial intelligence, and machine learning are going to create a massive revolution in the industry. And further, the determinant of future success for the established companies is going to be how well they embrace the new technology. So what people at companies need to do is think through what are the core changes that are required for insurers to succeed and to reap the major strategic benefits that will accrue to especially to the early adapters. And everyone should be thinking in my own domain, in my own sphere of influence, how can I change the thinking at my company? Absolutely. You know, so, um, hey, Martin, you know, I, I do want to say thank you. You know, I do truly appreciate having the time to talk to you about your organization and your thoughts around innovation and transformation in this space. You know, if, if anyone wanted to continue the conversation beyond listening to this podcast, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? They could send me an email. It's Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N at atidote, A-T-I-D-O-T dot com. Perfect. Well, hey, Martin, you know, once again, I do want to say thank you. I do truly appreciate having you on the podcast, and I look forward to um, following your thought leadership and what you're doing in your organization. No, and thank you, Abel. I really appreciate that you invited me, and I look forward to continuing the dialogue. Thank you very much. 
All right. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast. Now, of course, if this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so you can get new episodes every Thursday. Uh, once again, thank you. And if you got any value out of this, shoot me a message or even, you know, send this to your friends and your colleagues so they can get the same amount of value that you're getting out of this podcast. So once again, I do appreciate you listening and absolutely hope to see you next week.